If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I encourage you to open to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be there this morning, continuing our hope series. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a reason for hope. A reason for hope. We'll get to 1 Peter in just a minute. You know, we all make decisions in our lives differently. You've figured that out by now, that the way you make a decision uh, is probably different than some of the people around you make decisions. If you know me, I'm a pretty deliberate decision maker. And by that I mean I end up deliberating quite a lot of time, often before making a decision. I remember a couple years ago, uh, I was uh, going to buy a new putter. Uh, I like to golf, and uh, I was going to buy a new putter, and I was uh, here at the church, and I said to Pastor Brian, I said, hey, you know, at, at lunchtime, you want to run down to Golf Galaxy down the street? I want to go, uh, you know, look and grab a new putter. And he said, sure. So we went down to Golf Galaxy right down the street, and Pastor Brian kind of wandered off to another part of the store. And I went and grabbed, grabbed the putter I wanted and grabbed it, went to the register. And I said, okay, I'm all set. And he looked at me with this quizzical look on his face. And he said, that is the fastest decision I have ever seen you make in your life. And I looked back at him and I said, well, I've been here eight times. And tested every one of these putters like three times. And and this is the one I chose. And he said, well, that makes sense. and that's just the way I am. I'm very deliberate in, in the decisions I make. I remember one time I was buying, my, uh, buying a new uh, cell phone, and I was at the, at the store buying the cell phone. It took me uh, what I thought a reasonable amount of time to pick to make a decision that you're going to live with for two years, right? Uh, apparently, the salesman thought differently because while he was ringing up my, my cell phone and everything, he said, you might want to get a jump on looking for your next one while I'm ringing this up. <laughs> which I thought wasn't very kind. Uh, but it's true. I, I'm a little bit deliberate on some of the decisions I make. And one of the reasons is because you're going to live with that decision because at some point, you know, you, you have to like feel good about it. At times, you may need to even defend your choice and the decision that you make. It may be about a phone or a putter or the town you live in or the car you drive. Someone asks, you know, hey, why did you buy that car? Why do you live there? And you find yourself kind of giving an argument, kind of defending, this is why I did that. When it comes to following Jesus, I don't know if you feel this way or not, uh, but there are times where you may have to also defend your choice to follow Jesus or to be a Christian. And sometimes in our world, in the world that we live in, that, that might not Um, seem to be the case because sometimes religion and uh, following God is so privatized in the world we live in that many people look at it, hey, well, whatever you do in church or whatever you do in your spiritual life is what you do in your spiritual life, and that's great for you, and, and, you know, you keep that in your house, and and I'll do whatever I want in my house, and, and, and it's not really anything some people want to talk about. So some people may not, maybe don't feel the need to have to defend their choice to follow Jesus. But on the other side of that, we live in a world that is sometimes hostile to people who choose to follow Jesus. And maybe you feel like you're constantly having to defend your choice to follow Jesus. Maybe you feel like you're constantly to your friends or coworkers or even family members having to give a defense for the choice that you have made if you're a follower of Jesus. Well, the Bible talks about 
this idea of having to defend our faith. I don't know where you fall, whether you think you should have to or not. The Bible is actually very clear on the fact that at times we will need to give a defense for the decision you've made, if you've made that decision to follow Jesus. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, talks about this. Peter, if you, if you don't know, just, just so you know, Peter, the one who wrote this book, was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus do many miracles. He was, if you read the Gospels and you read about Peter, someone who seemed to speak, sometimes maybe before he thought, someone who was bold in his actions, um, and there's one particular time in, G- in Peter's life that's particularly notable in light of this morning's passage. When Jesus was on trial, mock trial really for uh, some of the things that people had said he had done, Peter wanted to kind of be close to him. So he stood outside the building where Jesus was on trial. But he was trying to be kind of incognito. He was trying to, you know, not be noticed because he knew if he was identified as one of Jesus's followers, people might think he was there to start a rebellion. People might persecute him. So when he was there, someone asked him, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And Peter, who's usually bold, in that moment said no. He denied it. A second person and a third person asked him, aren't you a follower of Jesus? I know you're a follower of Jesus. And Peter called down curses on himself and says, I don't even know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. And when he was called upon to make a defense for his faith, he fell quite a bit short. And so it's interesting that in light of that, that later on in life, when Peter is writing a letter to the early churches, He certainly seems to have learned from his earlier experience, and when he's counseling others, he recognizes that that is not the proper response for a follower of Jesus. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, he says this. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Listen to this part. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I want to really focus on that one part of verse 15 that says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The last couple weeks we've been talking about hope at Mount Hope. The first week, we said that with God, there's a hope that does not disappoint. You don't, have to come through, you don't have to come to the end of your life or walk through life saying, hopefully, things work out in the end. We said, if you will hope fully in Christ, you can know for sure that what God has said will be true. The second week, we said that you can even have hope through suffering and pain. And so if that's the case, then there may be times in your life where someone comes up and says, explain your hope. 
I don't understand this. Why are you so hopeful in the midst of your suffering and pain? Why are you so confident that your hope will not disappoint? And according to Peter, in that moment, we should be able to give an answer. We should be able to respond. I don't know if you always feel adequate to respond in that moment, but I think a lot of times we don't. The word Peter uses for answer, or the English word is translated answer, but the original Greek word is apologia. Uh, it's where we get the word apology from. But Peter's not using the word in the sense of saying, I'm sorry for what I believe. Apologia in the Greek is a legal defense for something. And so in Christian circles, there's a whole discipline developed called apologetics. And apologetics is a defense of the faith. And then there are people called apologists. Apologists often spend their whole life studying hours, hundreds, thousands of hours how to argue with people and how to defend the Christian faith. And those people, sometimes you'll see them once in a while, there'll be a prominent debate that'll be on TV or something, and usually there'll be a prominent atheist that may be on one side, an academic or a scientist or someone who just is outspoken, a philosopher against the Christian faith. On the other side, you'll often find an apologist, an academic for sure, but someone who spends their time studying and defending the Christian faith. And if you've ever watched one of those debates, you know the back and forth that goes on. And there are times where this person, who has spent much of their life, hundreds and thousands of hours, studying all the arguments against Christianity, at times will struggle to respond to a question or an assertion. And I look at that and I say, if this person, who has spent most and a good part of their life studying these things, struggles at times giving a defense for the faith, what hope do I have? What, what hope do you have? I mean, I, I went to Bible college and seminary, but I don't have the mind that these guys have. I haven't spent the time studying that they have, and, and I'm guessing you haven't either. I mean, they, they write, I, I brought just a couple of the books that are on my shelves, and these aren't all of them when it comes to apologetics that are out there. I mean, these are just some of the ones. This one's called To Everyone an Answer, A Case for the Christian Worldview. And this one is Apologetics Beyond Reason. Uh, Can God be trusted? This one. This one is Mere Apologetics, How to Help Seekers and Skeptics Find Faith. And then there's When Skeptics Ask. And then there's The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And then there's this little volume here. You might want to put on your nightstand for a little reading in the evenings. Christian apologetics, a comprehensive case for biblical faith. I have not read all these books. I've read in most of them. But, I mean, listen to, okay, so, so here's, here's some of the topics that uh, Christian apologetics covers. You may or may not be an expert in these topics, but a defense of theistic arguments, the ontological argument, the cosmological argument, the design argument, the origins, origins design and Darwinism, evidence for intellectual design, intelligent design, the moral argument, the argument from religious experience, the uniqueness of humanity, uh, and on and on it goes. Now, perhaps you're an expert in all those subjects, but my guess is we're probably not. 
And so the question comes up in my mind, is this what Peter's talking about? Are you and I supposed to somehow maybe quit our jobs, quit school, and in order to give everyone who asks a reason for the hope that you have, we have to master every one of these arguments in order to defend the Christian faith? I mean, that would be certainly unreasonable, unrealistic, and not practical. So I don't think that's what Peter means at all. Um, Certainly there's value. And I value the men and women who devote their lives to studying these things, to putting out books like this, so that when I do get a question, I can go to my bookshelf and pull out one of these uh, and try and find an answer maybe to a particular question. But the reality is I'm never going to know it as well as this guy, Doug, Douglas Gruthhaus. I'm never going to know it as well as him or any of these guys. And yet in black and white, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason, to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so, how can we still be faithful to God's word and yet not quit our jobs in order to become apologists? Let me try and resolve that tension by shifting the question a little and by saying, I think part of the answer is we need to start with why. So often we start with what and how, but I think we need to start with why. Simon Sinek is an author and business leader. I'm not a Christian to my knowledge, uh, but he wrote a book not too long ago that says, Start With Why. And the, and the premise behind the book was the best business leaders, advertisers, people who are trying to persuade people of others, the, the way they're the most effective is when they start with why. Not so much explaining how everything works, but why it's important. If you've got a boss at work, you know a real effective one when they don't always have to explain all the, the aspects of everything that goes on, but they can paint you a picture of why we're doing this, why it's important. And then you'll learn how, but you need to know why. And, and Simon Sinek says, you know, the, the most effective businesses start with why. When we're giving a reason for the hope that we have, we're ultimately talking about persuasion. Apologetics does not exist for apologetics' sake. It doesn't exist so smart men and women can sit in a room and argue with each other about the Christian faith. It ultimately exists to persuade people to come to know Jesus. And I think one of the most effective ways we can do that is to start with why. Perhaps one of the most effective companies on planet Earth that does this is a little company out of Cupertino, California called Apple. Perhaps you've heard of them. If you think of Apple commercials... Very rarely do they tell you how the iPhone works. But they answer the question, why you should have an iPhone? Perhaps more effectively than anyone else. There's a commercial that ran in Christmas of 2013 that I think illustrates this really well. I am not paid by Apple. I am not plugging Apple. I don't even own an iPhone. But I want you to see this commercial to, uh, to uh, illustrate what we're talking about. 
So how does an iPhone work? <laughs> what is the scientific background to how an iPhone works? You don't know from that commercial. But why should you own an iPhone? Because your kids will make snow angels. <laughs> because people will fall in love. Because grandma will have tears in her eyes. The kid that you think is just wasting his time on the phone is really filming deep family moments and memories. And you come away going, we need an iPhone. They have not gone into a big scientific explanation. In fact, they have done nothing that most other smartphones can't do. But they have answered the question of why you should buy an iPhone. There's a place for both the scientific, apologetic answer to questions, but there's also a place, and this is often where you and I find ourselves, where we just have to answer the question, why? Why do you follow Jesus? And why should I follow Jesus? What is your reason for hope? The greatest defense for your hope is not an academic apologetic. The greatest defense of your hope is your personal story of faith. The greatest defense of your hope is why you follow Jesus. There is place for both the scientific apologetic response and the personal story response. We may not all know all the ins and outs of the scientific apologetic, though I hope you'll familiarize yourself with some. But everyone who follows Jesus has a story to tell illustrate this fact that the science and the story both have a place in truth. Sci- let, me, let me share with you this. Uh, MIT professor, chemistry professor, scientist Troy Van Vortis, he argues in a veritas forum in, uh, forum in 2013 uh, for science and faith and how the different understandings and how they both inform truth Troy says this, of course science helps us understand how the universe works. What's not as clear is what role faith plays in this. Some would even argue this is a question that faith ought to keep away from. At best, faith provides simplistic and incorrect models that are going to be embarrassingly disproved by later scientific testing. But this argument assumes there can only be one explanation and ignores the existence of multiple layers of meaning. Let me give you an example. You could ask me, Troy, why is your shirt purple? I could answer this in a scientific way. My shirt is purple because there is a high concentration of 6,6-dibromo-indigo in the purple, in the fibers that were used to weave it. I could even test that hypothesis by attempting to remove the dye from the shirt to demonstrate the molecular reason why my shirt is purple. 
scientific answer. However, I could offer another explanation. My shirt is purple because my wife thinks I look quite nice in purple. (laughs) And then he says, both explanations can be true. And sometimes when someone asks about why they should follow Jesus, maybe we're tempted to think that we need to jump all into all the apologetic, scientific, cosmological, ontological arguments in it. But many times, at least the people that are talking to me and maybe the people that are talking to you, want to hear your story and want to know why you have just chosen to follow Jesus. Most people are not looking, I think, for a scientific defense. They want to know why they should give up control of their life to God. What's your answer? You may feel like you do not have an answer, but if your hope is in Christ, you have a reason. And it's not necessarily an ontological or cosmological reason, though those are important. You had an encounter with Jesus Christ someplace. You had a time in your life where he touched you, where he changed you, where he healed you, where he set you free, where you came to the place where you realized this God is real and this Jesus has died for me and I am going to give my life to him. And at some point, you made that decision and gave your life to him and that is your story and you have lived your life following him because of who he is and you've got a story to share. See, people are always looking for something you and me both. We're always looking for something. When we try a new restaurant, when we are trying to figure out where to go on vacation, when we are trying to hire a plumber or look for an electrician, there's something we all want, and it's a personal recommendation. We want to hear from someone who has been there, who has experienced the place we are going or the person we are hiring. If we don't know this someone personally, we have all kinds of ways of figuring out. I don't remember the last time I went out to eat without yelping the restaurant first and finding out what someone else has said about it, what other people who have gone there are saying about it. We can go to Google, we can go to Yelp, we can go to all different recommendations to get a recommendation on it. We're not looking for the best, well-reasoned, scientific argument. I just want to hear from someone who's been there. And I want to know what their experience was. There are many questions about faith that are difficult to answer and many we may feel unequipped to to respond to, but all of us have a powerful response to give when we are put on defense, and that is our story. Happens throughout Scripture in many different places. In Acts chapter 22, you can see the Apostle Paul, when he's put on trial, he goes into telling his story. He says, I was persecuting the church in my earlier life, and then Jesus met me on the road to Damascus and changed my life. Tells his story. Peter, Peter who who wrote these, these verses, he had a story to tell of how Jesus had redeemed him. We studied last year the gospel of Mark, and when we did that, we said that Mark got all of his information from the apostle Peter who just told his story. This is what Jesus was like. This is what it was like when we walked with him. This is what happened. And through that story, the hope was that people would come to know Jesus and follow him. One of the most uh, clear examples of this in Scripture is the man who was born blind in John chapter 9. And Jesus healed him. And the religious leaders didn't like it. 
They were calling Jesus a sinner, and, and they were calling Jesus all kinds of names because Jesus was challenged to their power and their thinking. And, and when they asked the blind man about him, he, he answered, the blind man answered in John chapter 9, verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Why? Why are you talking about this Jesus? Why are you telling others about him? There are well-reasoned, scientific, apologetic answers to that. But I think many times people just want to know (laughs) your story. I was blind and now I see. I was walking in shame and guilt and now I'm forgiven. I was walking under condemnation and judgment and God set me free. I was, had no righteousness in myself, nothing clean, nothing good, and God, through Jesus Christ, gave me his righteousness and washed me clean. I was sick and he healed me. I was in need and he provided for me. I cried out in my time of pain and he met me. These are a part of your story. These are a part of your story. These are a part of answering the question, Why? When you're telling your story to someone or someone asks, I'll give you this one kind of piece of uh, thought to keep in mind. When you're telling your story, always keep in mind that you and the person you're talking to are part of God's larger story. They're all, you're, we're all a part of the larger story that God is telling. And, and I'll give you just some big ideas on that five. I'm, I'm going to give you like one sentence about each of these. But I think they're helpful when you're talking to someone who's asking questions about your faith. Keep in mind first, creation. That the person you're talking to is created in the image of God just as you are. Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. Why? Because the person you're talking to was created by a loving God just like you are. They have the image of God within them as well. They have reason to think. They have free will to decide. Respect the creation of God in their life as well. Respect the fact that God created them with the free will to choose or not to choose to follow him. Sometimes that's hard for us. But if God is willing to allow people to have that free will, we must be as well. So keep in mind creation when you're talking to someone who doesn't know Christ. Keep in mind, secondly, the fall. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But when you're talking to someone who doesn't know Christ, keep in mind that in our natural selves, there's something within us that wants to deny a God that wants to demand his lordship over us. And so keep in mind that even when you're talking to someone, you can make your best well-reasoned argument You can talk to them and lead them through these books, but they still may say, I'd rather live for myself than live for God. That's part of the fall that's within us. So keep that in mind. Gentleness and respect when you're talking to someone. Creation, the fall. I'd say the other one, big part of God's story, the incarnation. Jesus left heaven and came to earth to show us how to live and to walk among us. When you and I are talking to people, giving a reason for the hope that we have, it only happens when we incarnate the gospel, living it among them, living like Jesus before them, being able to be close to people. It's hard to witness from a distance. 
Sometimes you might see someone and say, I don't know if I can get close to that person. I wonder if Jesus thought that. I don't know if I can go to that sinful planet with those unholy people. But he came, and he lived among us. And he came, and he lived in our presence, in the presence of people here on earth. And so you and I are called, when we're talking to people who don't know Christ, to live that life out before them, live in their midst. Creation, the fall, the incarnation, fourthly, the cross. Our our conversations must always be shaped by the cross and focused on the cross. Shaped by the cross and the fact that Jesus was willing to lay down his life that we might come to know him. Will we lay down some of ourself that someone else might come to know him? Our time? our conversation, our energy, the work that it might take to answer some of their question. Every question, every honest question deserves an honest answer. Francis Schaeffer, uh, in his apologetics that he would live out at uh, Labrie, that was one of their uh, values. Every honest question deserves an honest answer. Are we willing to at sometimes die to ourselves and do the work that would take that when someone asks an honest question about Christianity, that we will do the work to help give them an honest answer, even if we don't have it ourselves. The cross should also be the content of our message. Ultimately, it's not a philosophy. Ultimately, it's not just a way of thinking or living or morals. Ultimately, what it comes down to is a cross that Christ died upon for forgiveness of your sins and mine and a cross that is the only thing at the, it's at the center of our faith and a cross that dying to ourselves, he asks us to take up. It comes down to the cross. And finally, creation, the fall, the incarnation, the cross, the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it is God's business to advocate for himself. God is his best own lead counsel. He's his own best apologist. You and I are just called to be witnesses on the stand. What does a witness do? This is what I saw. This is what I know. We're not prosecuting attorneys. We're witnesses. A witness simply goes to the stand, says, this is what I saw. This is what I know. This is what happened to me. And that's what we're called to do as well. It's part of the larger story. So when people see your hope, they're going to ask questions. Our first response might be to bring them to a pastor. But they don't want the recommendation of someone they've never met. They want your recommendation. Don't be afraid to start with why. Give your personal recommendation. Tell them why you have hope in Jesus. Because when it comes down to it, you have a story to tell and not an argument to make. You have a story to tell and not an argument to make. Sometimes we feel like and we can get baited into just arguing people. But ultimately, I'm a witness on the stand. And when someone asks me about the hope that I have, I can just share what God has done in my life. I can help point them to answers elsewhere or what smarter people than I have have tried to come up with in response to their questions. But ultimately, I have a story to tell not an argument to make. When people ask about the hope you have in Jesus Christ, tell the story of how God provided for you, how God freed you from addiction, how God healed you, how God forgave you, 
Tell them about how you were lost in your sin and Jesus washed you clean. Tell them about how Jesus made you a new creation. You may not have an argument to make, but you have a story to tell. You may not be able to answer every question. You may not know how to win every argument, but your story is powerful. And Peter says you should be ready to share it whenever asked about it. And this morning, as we close, I'll close with this. If you don't yet have a story to tell, then I want to encourage you this morning. There's no better time and no better place to start that story than right now and right here. To allow God to start writing the story of his work in your life by coming to the place where you would turn your life over to him. And if you do that this morning, I think what you'll find is that the story didn't start today. God writing your story started many, many, many years ago calling you to himself, drawing you to himself, perhaps even calling you and drawing you to this place this morning. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're only here because somebody invited you or you're only here because somebody wanted you here or you're only here for some other circumstance but but you don't even know why you're here. I would submit that God providentially has you in this space, in this moment, on this day, because he's writing a story in your life. If you look back in your life, I believe you'll find times where God has been speaking to you, where God has been drawing yourself to him, where God has been protecting you, and you didn't even know he was there. But there's that moment. There's that moment where you turn over the pen to the ultimate author. And you stop writing and trying to write the story. And you say, God, I'm content just to be one of the characters in your story. And I'm content to give the pen over to you and let you write the story of my life. I'm content to let you have authority over me, that you would be Lord and God in my life. You may still have questions. And if you do, I'd love to talk with you about them. There's others in this church that would love to talk to you about them. As I said, there's smarter men and women than I that have thought through many of the questions you might have. Some of them are sitting in this room today that could talk with you about things that I could only dream to talk with you about. But ultimately, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And is there a place, and maybe it's today, where you come to the place where you'd say, God, I want you to be the one who writes my story from here on out, that I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to turn control over to you. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask that in this room we bow our heads and close our eyes. The music team's coming forward. If you hear people moving, that's what it is. But I just wanna, I wanna give you a, a second just to, in your own sacred space and that's such a thing lacking in our world today in the busyness and in, in the voices that are constantly grabbing for our attention and the, and the tweets and the status updates and the emails and everything that's grabbing for our attention. I just wanna, in this moment, give you a piece of sacred space where it's just you and God because one day, 
That's all it will be. The noise of this world will be silenced. The noise of this world will be no more. And the Bible says in that moment, it's just you and your creator face to face. And if you've ever wondered what that moment would be like, what the Bible tells us is you don't have to wonder what he'll say in that moment. Because if you will turn over control of your life and allow him to be the Lord of your life, serve him, love him, and know him, God says, tells us assuredly in that moment, when you see him, that his words will be well done, good and faithful servant. He welcomes you into his presence forever. It's not something I promise. It's in God's word. I encourage you to search it out for yourself. But this morning, if you'd like to do what I said and start that time where God writes your story, then I'd encourage you in this moment and in this space to, in your own words, right where you're sitting, to let him know. God, I didn't want to stop trying to write the story myself. I want to hand over the pen to you. I want you to take control and I want you to be Lord. And Lord, I will submit myself to you, to your leading, to your calling, to your direction, my plans, my hopes, my dreams. I will trust you with them. That's huge to be able to do that. But God loves you. He died for you. He has your best interest at heart and he will lead you and guide you in ways that you never could have even expected if you will trust him with your life. And so I'd encourage you this morning, if you don't have yet a reason for that hope, that this morning you would put your hope in Jesus, accept his forgiveness and his love, and begin to live your life for him. And I want to pray for you, but I also want to pray for those in here who already follow Christ, and maybe you've found yourself in a place where you have not been able to give a defense, where either you denied like Peter did, you just felt silent, or maybe you just felt completely inadequate to talk about your faith to someone. I just want to pray for you this morning that God will strengthen you and that God will give you the words and that God will help you just to tell your story with the people around you who are asking that you would be able to be faithful to this command about hope that Peter has given to us. Father, we come before you today and I thank you for this space. I thank you for this time. Lord, and I pray for that man or that woman that's here today and they are putting their faith and their trust in you for the first time. Lord, they are coming to you and putting their life in your hands and they are giving their control of their life over to you. God, I pray that you would do what it says in your word, that you would enter their life and their heart with your spirit and you would make them a new creation from this day forward so that as a part of their story, they might say that September 20. 7th, 2015 was a marked moment in my story walking with God. It was in that moment that I laid down my life. It was on that day that I finally gave up control completely
completely over to God. And it was in that moment that I finally completely accepted him as the Lord of my life and allowed him to write the story from that day forward. I pray for that man and that woman that you will strengthen them and give them the courage that it takes to yield our life to you and that you would do what it says in your word, that you would draw close to us, draw close to them when they draw close to you. And Lord, I pray for the man or the woman in here, the young person in here, that even this past week may have been asked about why do you follow Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why are you so hopeful in the midst of difficulty? Why do you continue to trust God even when circumstances around you are difficult? And maybe there was not an answer that came immediately to their mind or to their lips, or maybe they were confused, or maybe they thought they had to have some kind of huge, long, apologetic answer. Lord, I pray for courage and the words in that moment that you would give them the words to say and to speak in that moment, to share their story, to talk about this is why I love Jesus. This is why I follow God. This is why I think this is worth giving my life to, to be able to talk about what you have done, how you have created, redeemed, come into their life, Lord. And Lord, I ask that through those moments and through those times that men and women will be drawn to you, to follow you, to love you, and to know you. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have, those of us that follow Jesus. But Lord, we know that it was not given to us just to sit and talk with each other and keep each other warm until Jesus comes. It was given to us to share with others. And so I pray that you would help us to be faithful to be able to always give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason of the hope that we have. And we ask this in Christ's name.